You're listening to All The Best. I'm Helena Baroni-Peters, and I have a lot of hobbies. Most of them are pretty nerdy, like doing the crossword, baking, knitting, writing poetry. But one of my cooler, more socially acceptable hobbies is bushwalking. I love bushwalking. Swimming in waterfalls, taking trips to the national park, Every year since I was a kid, I'd spend weekends away camping with three of my friends and our dads. On one of these occasions, we took a trip to the Blue Mountains to go canyoning. It was a warm, sunny day, perfect for a leisurely float down the river. A few hours into the trip and a few wrong turns later, we realised we were absolutely and totally lost. It was getting dark, fast and cold. We'd passed the exit hours ago, getting deeper into the canyon, which was becoming more and more treacherous and less and less leisurely. And that was the point that we realised we were stuck. Down a canyon in the middle of the Blue Mountains. So we found ourselves the comfiest cave within climbing distance, rationed our half bag of trail mix and a can of tomato tuna, and settled in for the coldest night of sleep I've ever had. It's safe to say that no campfire songs were sung and no marshmallows were roasted that night. Shivering, cold and wet, deep in the Blue Mountains, that night I decided that maybe I should stick to crochet. In this episode, we'll hear stories about hobbies being pushed to their extremes. In our first story, Human's hobby puts him in the running for a Guinness World Record. Human says he isn't nervous, but the way he's frantically looking for more pens says otherwise. The chocolate experts are going to arrive in a couple of minutes. Between the two of them, they'll need two, maybe three pens at most. Human brings out a cup with a dozen pens and pours it right onto the table, beside the paperwork and the sushi Human has laid out for the experts in case they're hungry. I'm Human. Uh, I've been in Australia for around 10 years now, and uh, I migrated here from Iran. Came over here to do my uh, PhD at the University of New South Wales. I'm a mechanical engineer by profession and studies, and um, I'm an auditor for medical device companies. So I go and audit uh, manufacturers of medical devices in Australia and um, Asia sometimes. Yeah, that's pretty much uh, all about me, uh, and I live in Sydney. Human's being modest here. There's more to him than his occupation. Not to imply that auditing for medical device companies isn't interesting or anything. But the most interesting thing about Human would have to be his collections. Human's house is what you'd get if a clown car swerved into a museum. Fun, wacky, educational, yet with an implied rule that you must not touch the T-Rex fossil. The attraction is twofold. Firstly, there's the numerous collection of things he has. 
Records, guitars, whiskey bottles, miniature musical instruments. Then there's how well he's managed to fit it all in a small central Sydney apartment. Displayed on a two-meter-tall, ten-shelf glass cabinet filled with multicolor LED lights is the crown jewel, Human's massive collection of Kinder Surprise toys. In fact, it's the biggest collection in the world. Every time you give a Kinder Surprise, you give a double pleasure. First, there's the special Kinder chocolate with its milky white lining. And then the surprise. You know how you know some, if someone is a collector of Kinder Surprises or they're just a fan? How? You know, when you get a Kinder Surprise, um, you got two options. You either eat the chocolate and then open the toys and see what you got. Mm-hmm. Or you open the toy, assemble it, then you eat your chocolate. Mm, so which one do so, you So I'm the one who opened the chocolate mm-hmm. and then assembles the toys, then eats the chocolate. That's how you know someone, if someone is a collector or they're a fan. There's so much pleasure in the new Kinder Surprise eggs and so many new surprises. Let's talk a little bit more about the Guinness World Record, actually. When, when were you like, okay... I wonder if anyone has a collection this big. Yeah, uh, I think uh, it was a few months ago that I was um, thinking, uh, actually a year ago, I was thinking, what if I apply for this uh, Guinness World Record and get some recognition for this huge collection that I spent a lot of time on it? And without even checking the web, I thought, nah, you know what, forget about it. It's probably cost me five, well, four or 5,000 to just get someone to come over and, you know, have a look at the collection so I can get the recognition for it. So I uh, I dropped the topic and then um, probably six months back during the COVID lockdown, I, I ran out of things to do. And I said, actually, let's, let's see how much it costs. So I checked online and apparently it costs you $0 to uh, put an application in, get it assessed, and then even get a certificate for it. Mind you, you never get paid for setting a record either. It's purely the satisfaction of knowing that you're the world's fastest watermelon with head crusher, or the world's longest handshaker that motivates many applicants. Hello. This is Sefer from Radio. Nice to meet you. How are you? The experts have finally arrived to count and verify Human's Kinder Surprise collection. Both are from a leading global chocolate manufacturer. After Human himself, they're probably the closest thing to a Kinder Surprise expert as you can get. Thank you very much for coming, by Thank the you. way. Really oh, appreciate it. I, I gave like 10% chance that you guys oh. agreed to come. Uh, and notes. then boom, happened. So the collection is upstairs. Yeah. Um, Do you I'll, want I'll to lead the way? Uh, please. Uh, you don't need to take one. Wow. So this is wonderful. So cool. Oh my goodness. Can I take Oh yeah, as many as you need. Oh, uh, Sepe, uh, yeah. are we recording that one? Yes. So this is, uh, this is this uh, is. The experts are amazed. Culminated before them is the result of many years of their daily grind, all fitted compactly within a glass display case. Before we get started with counting, yeah. what? How did you? How did you start this? The first one that I got, one of the frog sets. So. That one. It's a frog with a red poofball hat and that is throwing a snowball. 
So we were somewhere in north of Iran, I think. We just had a huge kebab. And my mom and dad wanted to get some chewing gum or, or something from a supermarket next door. So we went there and all my cousins, they jumped uh, out of their skin to get uh, Kinder Surprises. Dad, I want Kinder Surprises. And, um, and I said, well, what is this thing? And they said, oh, chocolate with a toy. I was like, bingo, that's a two for one deal. So let's get it. I, I got one and that was this one. And um, it's, it's pretty interesting because I used to either break all my toys or lose them. But this one I kept close to heart for 30 something years now. But they're just as equally impressed by Human's diligence. I'll tell you the agenda. I put an agenda for us so we can do it very efficiently. Across the room, Human has laid out three cameras filming from three different angles, two counters, one digital and the other a physical clicker in case the iPad runs out of battery, the paperwork freshly printed out and placed in a separate neat stack for every individual to sign, and sushi, several varieties. So as part of this process, I will have this GoPro camera in my uh, on my uh, in my one of hand, uh, one of my hands. I will have a pencil in my other hand, and I will point to the item, mm -hmm. and um, we can I say count, or you can say count. And there is a counter. So this is counter one. It's a hand counter, mm -hmm. and it will click. And here is the tablet that is being counted. So, uh, yeah. I'll start clicking. So, sure. yeah. so I start from the bottom. In my entire kitchen, I own two plates. And even then, I fantasize about throwing one of them out. For me, the thought of owning more than five of anything is horrifying. So I want to know why Human collects these toys in the first place. I think it's the sense of challenge that there's still something out there that I don't have when I know there is one of those toys that someone else has <laughs> and I already may have like 12 of those but that thir uh, 13th one is the one that I don't have and that really really makes me want to have that, that <laughs> okay. 13th one I think um, it puts everything I do in perspective for example we, we all come from different pathways of life right so we do things in our way because of our past not present not future right and i think it puts everything in, uh, in perspective for example you're asking me about collecting and all of these things and i'm discovering all these new things about myself just thinking about this hmm. and that collecting is kind of in the past and made me the person that i am today i think uh, it, it's good to keep memories because you kind of it helps you understand why you are who you are today yeah, okay, so we don't count this one instead of the duplicate. Yeah. Okay, very good. Thank you, everyone. I think uh, yeah. we did it. <laughs> 15, yeah. oh, 1560. Mitch has got 1,560 on this camera. Nice clean number. Mm -hmm. yeah. 1,558. 1,558 on the other counter. So we assume the, the lower number is correct. So the number is 1,558. Thanks very much uh, to our witnesses. Mm -hmm. Thank you.
So we now um, are going to um, just sign the forms. So the counting process is finished. We ultimately settle for the lesser, but still ridiculous, number of 1,558 as the official count. You may wonder why we don't sound more enthusiastic after having potentially set a world record. Well, after two hours of this... Count. Uh, count. Count. Uh, count. Count. We had barely any energy. My right thumb grew abs after having pressed the clicker for that long. So for how long do you think you're going to continue this um, collection? Like, do you imagine mm. yourself when you're like yeah. 80, you know, and, and you have your whole house filled yeah, yeah. with kinder surprises? I think I continue until my partner tells me, you know what, it's either me or them. <laughs> I think that's as far as I can go, really. Yeah. And then I have to stop buying them at some stage. So, what's next? The less glamorous side of a Guinness World Record. Lots of paperwork, collecting evidence, Excel spreadsheets, emails, and lots of waiting. That story was produced by Sepa Jamshidi Fard. Danny Stewart was the supervising producer. You're listening to All the Best. I'm Helena Baroni Peters. At All the Best, you can learn how to make audio documentaries, essays, and fiction. If you have a story to tell, get in touch. Visit allthebestradio.com and send us your pitch. We'll pair you with one of our supervising producers to help make your story. I have a lot of hobbies, but some of them, like crosswords, are pretty mundane. Andrew thought his hobby of amateur astrophotography was no big thing. Until it led him to discover an entire solar system. So it's another day in the shed. 7.30, I'm walking into work, already starting to sweat. You know it's going to be a good day when you're sweating at 7.30. I poke my head out of the shed, the car park's chockers, so it's going to be busy. So 10 o'clock, couldn't come around fast enough, a smoko. The boys are throwing the tools down and uh, they're heading across the road for a feed. I grab my phone, uh, smoke and pull up a chair. I was uh, tearing through Facebook and I thought before I head back to work, I'll quickly check my emails. And in my junk box, I find an email from Brian Cox um, with the little subject line said discovery uh, with an exclamation mark. I thought, this is strange. So I opened it and it read that they'd made an amazing discovery using a classification of mine uh, in a little web app called Exoplanet Explorers. And I thought to myself, this is weird. It also went on to say whether I'd like to be interviewed live on the show. And I thought, well, this really escalated quickly. But I guess my obsession with astronomy, I mean, it's been coming for a long time. When I was younger, I grew up in Leanya. And 
we had this old rectangle trampoline, like a really crusty, rusty one with no safety nets, you know, full of holes and springs that could pinch you so hard, it'd make you cry. We'd have a barbecue. And just after the sun went down, we'd, we'd lay out on this really crusty trampoline and just look up at the stars and sort of spot the satellites drifting across the night sky. It was almost a ritual. I guess this is probably what led to my obsession with uh, the sci-fi genre, or Star Trek in particular. Um, I've probably watched every episode ever made. You know, you, you know it's not real, but you just like to think and you go, you know, what else is out there? It definitely cemented my love for astronomy. Uh, towards my teen years, uh, high school, I guess I sort of pushed my astronomy and love for sci-fi and space to the side a little bit. I guess other things got in the way. Um, you know, school, friends, cars, computer games. I mean, I hate to say I hid my passion for astronomy, but I guess I did want to hide from the stigma that my peers would call me a nerd. Um, it was actually around this time I met Sarah. She's beautiful, like warm-hearted, pretty as a picture. It's a funny story. I was at my mum's house just one night for dinner, and I guess nostalgically we were out the back sort of laying down and just watching the sky for little satellites, and I remember hearing laughing over the back fence, and it was Sarah and her friend uh, that were sitting on the roof laughing at us. <laughs> Who knew seven years later she'd actually buy me my first telescope and nine years later we'd be engaged. So a few years went past. I'm in my early 20s and I discover I have enough equipment to attempt some amateur astrophotography. Astrophotography is basically regular photography just of things in space. Um, it's quite an involved process. A uh, lot of YouTube tutorials and I thought I was about ready to uh, have a go at doing a photo. Being born in the territory, we don't mind a bit of fishing. One evening we... Uh, shot out to Channel Island, um, Sarah and her old man. As they were sort of rigging up, you know, putting hooks on, getting the bait ready, I had all my uh, astronomy gear out and you know, set my camera up and tripod and had a pair of binoculars and I was buzzing the sky, sort of looking for something to image. I guess towards the west there was a little bit of a fuzziness I could see, so I pointed the lens towards it. It's quite an involved process. It takes two or three hundred photos and then there's hours and hours of editing, so... After coming home, catching nothing, I was in awe of what I'd captured. There was just this like three-dimensional glowing region of gas and stars. It was magnificent to look at. A little bit of Google uh, research, I'd found I'd imaged a nebula called M43. So it's, it's basically a, a star-birthing nebula. So in this area of glowing gas, uh, stars were being born. They were being created. I mean, I was just in awe of what I'd captured. I, I stared at it for hours. I think I woke Sarah up about 1.30, and she... <laughs> wasn't as impressed as I was. <laughs> I was just amazed I could, I could capture this beautiful image with you know a basic DSLR and a $15 tripod from eBay. I think it was about then I think I realised I needed a telescope. So my 23rd birthday was close. And uh, to my surprise, Sarah, had, my, I guess my then girlfriend of about three years, uh, surprised me with one. So it was a reflecting type with an equatorial mount. What that did is line up the rotation of the telescope with the rotation of the Earth so it can track the sky. That's pretty cool. <laughs> if you like telescopes. <laughs> so over the next 12 months, um, I bought a little adapter uh, to attach my camera and I imaged anything I could, everything and anything. I probably spent more hours awake at night than during the day. There's a term in uh, the amateur astronomy world called aperture fever, which basically means you always end up wanting a bigger telescope. But like with everything, your bigger telescope, much bigger price, and it just goes up like an exponential curve. It's ridiculous. So the 4th, 5th, and 6th of April, there was an astronomy show uh, with Brian Cox called Stargazing Live. Um, 
he's an astrophysicist from the UK. He's a bit of a legend if you're into astronomy. And I thought, yep, I'm in. I booked the TV from Sarah for a solid hour each night. I guess being an amateur astronomy at the time, I felt like a bit of a king of a lonely thing. I didn't really know anyone else at the time that was into astronomy and wasn't really publicised as much as, I, you know, as, as it should be. So Thursday morning comes, I'm at work, I get an email that turned into phone calls with producers that ended up with me coming home at half past four with uh, like a satellite transmitter satellite dish set up in my backyard and my back veranda looking like a news studio. So I jump in the shower, throw on the only collared shirt I think I own, and they wire me up like a secret agent. I had like earpieces in and microphones and there's cables running everywhere. And the time comes where I literally, I'm staring down this camera and I go live on TV. I mean, I, I was shitting myself. <laughs> like I was sweating bullets. And um, in the little earpiece I hear, I'm staring down this camera and uh, Brian Cox tells me that my classification in the little web app that they have has led them to find a four-planet solar system that is 600 light years away from Earth. And uh, I was just... <laughs> I mean, I was standing there like a stunned mullet. I just... I couldn't believe it. I mean, I'd found an entire solar system. I mean, I was ecstatic. I, I couldn't believe that, that something, you know, I felt to be so, you know, minuscule could become something so amazing. It, it still amazes me today. It makes me feel like when I was younger, back sitting on the trampoline, watching the satellites drift by, I could just, I just get that feeling like, a, yeah, it's awesome. I guess I'm still a mechanic by day, but I guess I really do live for the night sky. Thank you. That story was by Andrew Gray. Andrew told this story at Spun, a live storytelling night presented by Story Projects in the Northern Territory. You can subscribe to the Spun Stories podcast and find out more about the Spun Storytelling Project by visiting spunstories.net. You can also look for Spun Stories on Facebook and Twitter. All the Best would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands on which we make these stories and pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging. All the Best is made at FBI Radio on Gadigal Land in association with SIN and 3RRR on Wurundjeri, Woiwurrung and Boonwurrung lands, and 8CCC on Arunda and Wurrumungu lands. Our editorial manager is Mel Chun, and our production manager is Danny Stewart. Matilda Fay and Emma Pham are our social media producers. Shining Bird composed our theme music, and Annie Hamilton designed the artwork. We're heard across Australia on the Community Radio Network, and we're made possible by the Community Broadcasting Foundation. You can find out more at cbf.org.au. And you can find more episodes by searching for All the Best wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Helena Baroni-Peters. Thanks for listening.